Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. And so um, that's the logo that my friend uh, did up. And as we talked about the vision of who we wanted to be, and he was part of that process, um, it's that as Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And God is the one that bears this fruit. As Paula shares his, her story, as Carly shares her story, that is God producing the fruit. They're just branches. They're just part of him doing his work. And Jake is another one. So I've invited him up. Um, Jake and I have known each other for a while. And um, when you hear his story, our hope is not that you're going to leave thinking about Jake, but that you would come back to the vine from which, where all this fruit came from. And um, so he has a very unique story. He uh, was in the military, and um, he was a captain, which is kind of a big deal, so that's why we call him the cap, captain. In fact, I don't think my kids actually know his real name. They just call him, where's captain? Is captain in town? Because he travels a lot. And so, but God had a different plan for him. He was there, and then a, a moment happened where everything went in a different direction. And so I'll, I'll just let you take it from there and talk about that moment. Sure. So I, I think um, it's God in my life has has had some key moments that really, as Boog alluded to, have, have just totally transformed and changed the direction that you're on. And I think it happens to a lot of people. Um, sometimes I was sharing with the first service, uh, God has to keep hitting me in the head to get me to move in that other direction. Um, and this, that was kind of the case in, in, this, uh, in this story of this, of this incident. So I was on a very different path. I was, um, I was in a special operations group called Force Recon. I, was, I had done multiple uh, tours in combat in Iraq and uh, Horn of Africa and some other places in the Middle East. And, um, and the work that I do now is actually working to help free people from the, the change of extreme poverty in really violent places, which is very different work, uh, you know, working with poor people and then, you know, destroying stuff, you know, in the other job. And so uh, people ask me a lot, how did you make that change? Like, what caused that? And that's this incident that Book talks about. Uh, so I was, um, the story starts in 2003. You might remember the Iraqi invasion when we invaded uh, Iraq. We were the lead unit in the Marine Corps. Uh, uh, and our job was to go through the south in Iraq and take Baghdad. And at the time, southern Iraq was one of the poorest places in the world. It was a terrible hunger problem, no access to health care education for the kids. And what had ha- been happening as we moved through the south uh, fighting uh, the regular army was retreating to make a final stand in Baghdad. And Saddam had been pushing his special forces guys south, and they were going hut to hut in these little villages, basically coercing these poor farmers to fight us, saying, look, your, your children are starving to death right in front of you. We will drop a bag of rice off here every couple of weeks if you pick up this weapon and go fight these guys 10 miles south here. And we were fighting these guys by the hundreds and thousands. And that kind of set the stage for what happened. So the first major contact in the war was a place called Nasiriyah, the Battle of Nasiriyah. We moved through the city and we, we got ambushed. We started taking heavy casualties. We were able to make it through the city and we had to stop and set up a defensive perimeter north of the city because we'd outrun our supplies and we were, we were hungry. We hadn't eaten in two days. And there's nothing worse in combat than sitting still. 
And we had just survived an ambush. Everyone was terrified. And we were, we were exhausted. We were hungry. And I remember there was a thick fog. And I, I knew that when the sun came up that they were going to start shooting at us again. So I thought, well, I got, I got to check on my guys. So I got up out of my hole. Uh, we were in these fighting holes. I got up out of my hole, walked the line, started checking on my guys. And I remember looking up and seeing a small little white car racing toward our position from the north. And so I thought, well, if these guys have packed bombs and explosives in the car, they're going to blow themselves up. So I grabbed three of my guys, took off running toward the car to get it to stop. I fired a warning shot across to the front of the car. And finally, the car stops about 50 meters out. The driver hops out, starts waving his arms frantically and running at me. So now I think, well, this man, he's strapped a bomb to himself. He's going to blow himself up. So I'm yelling at him in Arabic, desperately to try to get him on the ground. He's not listening. So right as I lift my weapon, I think I'm going to take this guy out. I look behind him, and I see a large black military truck roll up behind his little white car. Six guys in black jump out of the truck, run up to the car, and start shooting into the car. So this man stops dead in his tracks, starts screaming, turns around, starts running back to the car. And that's when I realized what was happening. You see, this guy was one of those poor farmers who was trying to escape the Fedayeen to safety with his family across our lines. So I yelled at my guys to take out the Fedayeen soldiers as I ran as fast as I could to try to save this guy's family. But by the time I got there, it was too late. I, um, I looked in the passenger side. His wife had been shot in the face and in the chest. She was slumped over dead. He had a little uh, infant baby girl in the back whose arm had been shot off, and she was shot in the head. And uh, he was cradling the body of his little, uh, little daughter who had been shot in the stomach, and she was choking on her own blood. Um, so everything in the war slowed down for me in that moment. And I, I'd seen a lot of bad stuff to date in the war, but nothing like this. And I put myself in this guy's shoes, and I thought, you know, I live in a world of choices. Where do I want to go to school? Where do I want my kids to grow up? What were this guy's choices when he woke up this morning? He could watch his kids starve to death. He could strap a bond on himself. He could make a desperate attempt to cross our lines of safety. He didn't have any choices because of the poverty that he faced. And honestly, I I thought I had been trained for everything, but I was not trained for this. And so I put my weapon at my side, and I just started crying with this guy. But then I got really, really angry. You know, it wasn't fair that the GPS coordinates of a man's birthplace dictates what choices he has in this world. And that was the beginning of an awakening in me. God showed me a unique connection between the desperation of poverty and the movement of these terrorist organizations and the growth of these extremist groups. And once I saw this, he opened my eyes to that again and again and again as I continued to fight. So finally, I, uh, you know, I, I talked to my guys, and we talked about this problem. You know, there's evil people in this world that run these organizations, and, and we need our armed, armed forces to take those guys out. But extremists and terrorist groups thrive and grow because they prey on the desperately poor, those who have no choices. So I felt like God was speaking to me and saying, look, I want you to do something about those choices. I want you to, to create choices for people in desperate poverty. And so I made one of the toughest choices I ever had to make at the time, which was leaving my guys. I left the Marine Corps on this quest to kind of, to kind of uh, to build to build something, to try, try to take on that poverty problem in these violent places. 
And uh, I remember on that highway with that farmer, you know, every, every night when I go to bed, I see that farmer's eyes as I'm going to sleep. I can't, I can't shake it. And it reminds me that, you know, we live in a world where we, we, don't, we don't look the same. We have different cultures. We, we grow, have different, different uh, customs in our families, but we're all the same. That farmer is the same as me. That farmer has hopes and dreams of a family and a life for his kids and his wife. That farmer wants to be happy and provide the basics for his family, just like I do. We're all the same. And in a world, and if you look across our nation today, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of diversity. There are a lot of different cultures, different, different customs, different, different towns. We look at Ferguson. We look at Baltimore. We look at, even here, San Juan Capistrano. There's a lot of differences, but we're all the same. We come from the same place. We're all God's children. And that was a powerful moment for me in connecting with that Iraqi farmer because I began to see he's just the same as me. He needs choices just like I have choices. It wasn't a short one. It took a while. Can you just tell us about the journey from that moment? Because it wasn't an easy one. <laughs> right. Yeah, so book, book talks about normal people, um, you know, God calling normal people to do kind of extraordinary things. I was actually subnormal. I was be- I'm the below average kid in school, right? And uh, God, um, not only that, but I was, I was a special operations Marine. I didn't know what I was doing about poverty. I got out of the Marine Corps and quickly realized I, got no, I have no idea what I'm doing. I was not a Peace Corps dude. I was not, you know, I, I had never been, worked for a nonprofit. So uh, I started trying to learn. I started trying to research. And I was living in uh, Carlsbad at the time, trying to learn about it, these other organizations. Who else is trying to fight poverty? What's working? What's not working? And why? And I was super excited, you know, because I had this passion that God had given me. And so I started trying to join the, all these other organizations. And I applied it, you know, I, I don't know how many organizations. But I heard the same thing every time, like, you know, you, you know, you're not qualified. You're just knucklehead. You know, you're trained to kill people. You're not trained to help poor people. I mean, they didn't say it like that necessarily, but that was the message. And so, uh, you know, I wasn't going to quit. I, I kind of thought to myself, well, screw you guys. I'll, I'll start my own thing, right? And um, so that led me to, uh, to try to get into business school. And I, I, so I ended up going to business school uh, where I, I, I learned the basic skills to, to build a company because I wanted to, to build something that could actually scale and free people from extreme poverty all around the world. And I knew that I couldn't do that if I just had my, you know, my own little uh, marine training to go over there and try to figure stuff out. I wanted to do it the right way. And that led me to business school um, to begin to build this organization, which is called Nuru International. Nuru is a Swahili word that means light or hope. And um, then in, uh, I went to, to business school in June, or, or uh, graduated in June of 2008, and then moved to one of the, the poorest areas in Kenya in September later that year, me and uh, a couple other dudes I'd recruited. And um, we launched our first project with, uh, with just a handful of farmers, just kind of stepping out in faith, knowing that I just don't know what I'm doing, and God, please help me with this, you know. Uh, make sh- please help me not screw anything up, make things worse. And in this process, so we, we met a couple times just because we're friends and uh, we were at the same church and, and I was working in development and at that point, I was more qualified than he was, yeah, not by more. much, but you know, I'd done some stuff and yet I'm hearing him share this and I'm like, wow, like God's put a big vision in his heart and um, it actually didn't happen right away. It took him a couple years because he's like, well, I think I should do this, but I don't know. And so he stayed, in, he stayed in the military for two years after that, right? after that moment, but God was relentless, and so he left, um, 
And, of course, he goes, I went to a business school. Yeah, he went to Stanford Business School. Woo! Like, that's my... They have this quota for, for uh, knuckleheads <laughs> who are in the military. <laughs> yeah, they have a quota for people that shouldn't be there, and he fit right in that quota. Um, so he go, So you go there, and then there's... So I'm sure that first week, like, God just pulled everything together and just went perfectly, right? Yeah, not, not exactly. So, um, so I show up in, in uh, Kenya... Uh, and I, I, um, I had found a partner that I wanted to work with there. His name was Philip Mahochi, this amazing, this amazing dude who is, uh, he's about 55 years old, this kind of wise old, he's kind of like the Yoda of Kenya, right? Like, I mean, this guy was like, he was serving his community. He was, he was like, had all this wisdom. Everybody really respected him and kind of rallied around him. So I was going to partner with him to start this organization. And I remember um, I just moved there. Philip had taken me around to meet some of the leaders in the villages and that first week uh, was a tough week. So I got, uh, let's see, I got attacked by thieves uh, and uh, had to beat a bunch of thieves off um, as they were trying to break into our, our little compound we built. Um, we had an earthquake. Um, you left I, out the earthquake before. So there's so much yeah. that happened. You even left the yeah, earthquake, earthquake out. Um, we got attacked by black widow spiders and safari ants. Anyway, um, you, and I've never heard that part either. You slipped that one out. So what do you mean by you got attacked by black widows? And well, like, so, like, uh, I, we woke up at, like, 1 in the morning, and I walked out in the compound, and, you know, there's, we had this huge kind of, I guess, yard, right? But I, didn't, I couldn't see any grass, but I could see it was like this moving sea. You guys ever see Indiana Jones, like, you know, like where they, the guys walk into the sea of ants, it's like the ants kind of eat him, right? So, like, one of those deals. I didn't get eaten, thankfully. But I, I remember just... Quickly, I remember taking a, a, a big thing of gasoline and running around the around around the house, like dumping the gasoline as I'm running through these ants, like trying to get them from coming up and eating me. And I yelled back to my buddy. I, I said, "Hey, light it!" And it, he like lights the trail because we were trying to do a ring of fire to protect the house. So I have this like flame coming after me, and I'm carrying this big thing of gasoline. So I like dive into the house and throw the tank of gasoline. A big explosion and all this. Sorry, that's I'm diverging. Did you really bit, throw it and it blew up? Yeah, yeah. So you you get you just kind of breeze through these right. things, like the whole ant, ant black widow. You've never shared that story before. You're like, oh yeah, there's some black widow. Yeah. You slipped that in, you know, earlier. And that's the first time I heard of it. That's yeah. Like, this so, is the kind of stuff that happens to this guy, yeah. ordinary guy. So, okay. but that was that wasn't was it though. I, that wasn't the end of the week. I saw I, I got malaria that week. Um, and then the last thing, to top it all off, the last day, actually, Friday was my birthday of that week, that first week, and I got struck by lightning on my birthday. I mean, you can't make this up. <laughs> it's the worst week my, maybe on record for a human being. <laughs> um, and so uh, I just remember thinking to myself, you know, I've survived a lot of stuff, but this is just insane. And, and I had never quit anything in my life. But I, I remember going over to, to Philip's house. I was scared. You know, like, I, look, I can fight these and I get shot at, whatever. But, I mean, how in the world do you dodge lightning? I mean, you just can't, you can't, like. So I went over to Philip's house, and I was uh, talking to him. And I said, Philip, listen, I'm really sorry. Uh, I am not cut out for this. I made a big mistake. I need to go back into the military and know, do what I know how to do. And I told him about the week, and he's like, he looked at me, you know, he's this wise old guy. He had these little spectacles, you know, he put them down on his nose, kind of looked over like, you know, like a grandfather would look at you. He said, listen, Jake, I know you've had a really hard week, um, but before you leave, I want you to think about this. He said, remember those women that we went out in the villages to meet this week? 
you know, these women also had a hard week. You got malaria, you know, their kids also got malaria, but you took medicine and got better. Those kids didn't have any medicine, and, they, and a few of them died this week. Last week, those women had a, had a tough week, too, because they couldn't put more than one bowl of porridge on the table for the entire day, every single day, for their children. Their children are starving to death. They had a bad week the week before that, and the week before that, and the week before that. You had one bad week, they have a bad week every single week. But if you stay here, we can transform this region so that these women never have a bad week again. And I was like, <laughs> sign me up. Like, I, I mean, how, what do you say to that, right? But God in that moment showed me this really powerful lesson, which is the fact that, you know, we all have obstacles in our lives. You're always going to have bad things happen to you. But remember, there's, there's always someone else who's suffering more than you are. Right? There's always someone else who's going through something a little bit tougher, right? And God meets you wherever you are in that challenge and helps you get through it. For me, that was Philip. He put Philip in my life, and he, he pulled me out of that, that hole that I was in to give me the perseverance I needed to, to continue. And when we were talking about this this week and, and some of the things that Jake could possibly share, when he shared that, I thought of many things that you're going through. Whenever you have a group of people you're going to have stories, and you're going to have stories of pain and adversity and difficulty. And I love what Jake shared, not only now, but when we discussed it. Like, God still meets you there. It doesn't mean that your situation doesn't matter and somebody has it worse, so just get over it. And Jake was, when we sat, he was so clear. Like, yeah, God mourns through your pain, and he's going to walk with you. But realize that someone else probably has it worse, and you can jump in to make a difference. And I thought it was so powerful and gave him the strength to keep moving because I, I think I would have given up at the wave of Black Widows. Um, uh, it was Safari Ants. Oh, the Safari Ants. Was oh, the the wave, ants yeah. were the, Black Widows were different. Sorry. The different story. Right, because you just skipped over that too. Probably had to pull out a flamethrower for those guys. Actually, yeah. You did? Well, it was, yeah, that, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a good thing that you stuck with it. And I know that you're a humble man, but if you could just give us the clear picture of right now what Nuru does and who you are and what God has done, how he's grown it. So we actually, we, we go into really, really impoverished areas. We try to go into some of the most violent remote areas where other people can't go. And we work with these villages to, um, so they help actually lift themselves out of extreme poverty. We work in agriculture, health, education, and microfinance. Um, to give the, the villagers the, the equipment and the tools that they need to lift their communities out of poverty and then stay out and per- permanently. It's a sustainable model. So by doing that, these farmers, for the first times in their lives, actually have choices. They have choices. They all have alternatives to joining that terrorist cell or to sending their kid in, into the madrasa or to selling their, their young daughter into sexual slavery. For the first time, the family has choices, right? So that's, that's kind of what we do. Um, we, I started with that handful of farmers in 2008, um, since that time, we've grown. Uh, we're now we've now empowered over seventy thousand people permanently out of extreme poverty um, in Kenya and Ethiopia. We have a global team that works with me. They're incredible. There's three hundred twenty of them, uh, both Americans, uh, Kenyans, and Ethiopians, and we're running about a ten million dollar annual budget now. So, all in spite of my me being an idiot. So God <laughs> God has been amazing, kind of doing all that. And as he's sharing that story right now, I I remember. I think it was your first time doing a missions work or doing anything like that when we went to build a house in Mexico. Was that your first time? Yeah, it was actually, yeah. Yeah. And so you, some of you guys have been on those trips where we go to Mexico and work in a community and build a home. 
And this is a guy that had done none of that before. And I say that to say that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I wish I was smart enough to make that one up, but I stole it from someone else. And I use it because it's true. And if we look through the book of Acts, there's normal men and normal women and normal elderly and normal young people that God moves in their life and calls them and then he qualifies them. And they were way out of their league. And just imagining Jake like talking to this guy, Philip, and these people at Stanford, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And I could see them nodding going, yeah, whatever, GI. Like, you can't do this. You, I mean, he, he didn't share this, but he applied to like World Vision and all these organizations and they wouldn't hire him. Like you'd think they'd go, oh great, someone we could hire. They wouldn't hire him because they recognized he wasn't qualified. And that's not a strike against them, but that just lets you know God said, no, I want you to see that this is from me. You remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. And so here he is and, and um, you know, we got together for, uh, we get together every once in a while just to share stories and, and try to encourage each other and then he shared about this very difficult time that he was going through recently and I said, could you share that? Because it's not like, oh, okay, good. You made it through the ants and the black widows and the lightning. Now it's going to be easy street from here on out. Um, but you just hit another hiccup. Yeah, so, so lately it's, um, it's been a pretty tough, it's been a pretty tough time. So uh, I, we've been growing really fast, and God has been blessing the work in incredible ways. It's been mind-blowing. But as we've been growing, our, our, our budget has also been growing, right? I talked about it. it's a $10 million budget. Uh, that's a lot of money to raise, and I'm a terrible, terrible fundraiser. I hate it. You have to get dressed up in, like, ties and, you know, these button-down shirts and look like a monkey and go around to these parties and talk to these people. I'm terrible at it, right? I'm an operator. I, I like being on the ground. I live in the villages and doing this work, but I ha- it's a, something I have to do. So as we're – bless you, by the way. Um, it's something I have to do in raising this money, and what was, began, I began to see is that you know, there's 70,000 farmers now who are depending on me to be able to get the, the fertilizer and the seed that they need to be able to actually feed their families this year. I got 320 staff that left high-paying jobs to come and work for me, and they're depending on payroll to hit so they can pay their bills. And I'm about two months away from running out of money. We're running out of cash, right? So I started thinking to myself, you know, I... I don't want to let these guys down. You know, I haven't, I, I, I can't fail them. I can't, and the pressure started mounting and mounting and mounting. And uh, about two months ago, God put a guy in my life, his name is Gary Haugen, who started another organization called International Justice Mission. It's an incredible organization. Um, to kind of be a bit of a, a spiritual mentor for me. And if you don't have someone like that in your life, I highly encourage it. We talk about once a week to kind of, uh, about some of the spiritual challenges that I'm having, and he helps me walk through that. So he called me uh, about, it was about three or four weeks ago, and when I was going through this, this really intense, you know, and I'm, I hide all of those times, probably like a lot of you. You know, I, I don't like to show people my vulnerability or my weakness, and so I really hide that. I'm like, big, you know, this big tough guy, you know, nothing, nothing ever breaks me. I get, I mean, inside I'm terrified, right? I can't let these people down. So he asked me, he's like, hey, how you doing? And I don't know what happened, but God, whether it was God moving to me or what, but I just, I just freaking, I broke, started crying. And of course, I don't, I don't, that doesn't happen very often for me. And, and so Gary's like, what, what on earth? Are you sick? Is somebody dying? Like, what's happening? And, and, and so I just started talking to him about this. It's like, Gary, I, I, I don't know what to do, man. Like, uh, you know, there's 70,000 people, their, chil- their children are going to starve this year because I can't, I can't raise this money. 
You know, these, these people who are dependent on me, they left these jobs to come work for me. They're not going to be able to pay their bills. They got mortgages to pay. What, what am I supposed to do? And he like kind of paused and uh, he, he told me two things. The first thing he said was, listen, those 70,000 people, who do you think loves them more, you or God? And I was like, well, I mean, God. He's like, yeah, God loves them. And, and what about those 320 staff members that you have? Who, who loves them more, you or, or God? I said, God. He said, yeah, stop being an idiot. Like, you know, if, if, this, if Nuru does, fails, if it goes under, God's going to take care of those people. He knows how to take care of them way more than, than you do. He said, the second thing is like, this is not, let's, let's address you. This is not about you. Nuru is not, the, your organization, this is not about you. God doesn't need you. You know, this is an opportunity, you have an opportunity to do something incredible and be used by God in this. What a privilege. But this is not about you. If Nuru fails, do you think God's going to love you any less? Is God any less good? And I said, no. And I had this, I had this really awakening in my, in my own identity. He said, you are, your, your identity is not Nuru. That is not who you are. Your identity is you're a child of God covered by, by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And whether or not your, your profession or your calling or, you know, being a, a dad or a brother or a business person in life those are all things that we do to live out our calling for God, but it's not who you are. God will love you just the same through failure as he does through success. And that was a very powerful moment for me, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I'd love to be able to tell you, and after that, it started raining money, and we had all this money, and now there were no problems. I mean, we're still having a lot of cash problems right now. I'm still facing Almost the same situation, but it's very different now. God gave me a peace about that, and he's now walking with me in that. I'm realizing more and more every day that God, God shows up to do the impossible all the time. And when I, began to, and when I realized this is not about me, what are, that it's actually it's a, it's a privilege to be a part of, of the story that God is writing, it became way more powerful, and I was, I was able to kind of sit back and say, you know, things are going to be okay. You know, this is going to work out. God's got, God's got his hand on it. And I would encourage you the same thing in your lives too. Like whatever you're going th- through, the, the terrible times you're going through, whatever, wherever God's got you, God will meet you where you are, and he'll tell you the same thing he told me, which is I love you no matter what you do. No matter what happens in your life, I will love you just the same. And that was a powerful message for me, and I hope it's a powerful message for you. So when, um, when I hear Jake share and, and other people hear him share his story and other people that I haven't been with when they've heard Jake's story and, and you just hear them going, oh, look at Jake, oh. And they, you can even see them just kind of lifting Jake off the ground like, oh, there he is, high above the earth. And um, when, you, when you know Jake and you know his heart, you know that he understands that's not the case. And it's important for us to know that, not because of our relationship with Jake, but for yourself, knowing that God uses the ordinary. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I hope that as we're here at the halfway point going through the first 10 book or the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts, and we see this early church and see how they lived after Easter, after they saw Jesus rise from the dead, and they began like Jake to move out because they felt that God was moving them, and Paula felt that God was moving her, 
and Jake felt like God was calling him into this need and none of them were qualified. And you've got these early disciples who are going out and they just don't have what it takes. And as they're moving out, you can see their fear and yet they keep walking. In the midst of their fear, they keep moving forward, trusting that God's gonna show up. And I love the way that uh, NBC portrayed Peter and the rest of the disciples as they're coming back to Jerusalem because Jesus said, go back there and wait for the Holy Spirit. And as they're coming back, people are like, so what's going to happen? They're like, we don't know. So what are we supposed to do? I don't know, just wait. You know, that's much like what Jake's story was, just walking forward in faith. And then as the Holy Spirit comes and then they go out and then you see, um, as we looked at in the beginning of Acts, you see John and you see Peter and they heal this man who who could not walk. Everybody knew who he was. He was the guy that was always in front, had his little spot, his little pallet, and he begged for money because he couldn't walk. And everybody sees that, and yet they walk up, and they heal him and lift him up, and now he can walk. And so what do they do? They all look at Peter and John. They're like, oh, you guys are fantastic. And they start worshiping them, and he looks around. Peter looks around and goes, what are you guys doing? You think we did this? God did this. And then he goes on to talk about Christ. When Jake shared this morning, the thing I was most excited about was for you to know that God has the same plans for you. Maybe it's going to be invisible. Maybe people are going to know about it. Maybe it's going to be in the newspapers. Maybe no one's going to hear about it except your Lord in heaven. But God has a plan for us to make a difference in this world. A difference where we bring light into the darkness. Where we show people what his love is like. And you're not qualified for it. But he is. And as you remain in him, and he in you, you will bear much fruit. And so um, there seems no other appropriate way to end this than to ask Jake to pray for us. Because um, he, know like, he knows what it's like to be in this position. So um, if you could stand with me. And we're not going to have any worship team come up afterwards. Um, he's going to just pray for us. So if you could pray. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, um, thank you just for just, you know, the incredible opportunity to be a part of your story and what you're doing. I thank you for this church body, God, and the way that, you know, the, the, just the incredible potential. When I look out in this crowd, like every person here, the change and the impact they're going to have on your world and loving your people is going to be tremendous if we can all step forward together and say yes to your call. I thank you for Bug and his leadership and vision for this church. I thank you for each member of the church and the new people who have come today, God, to step forward to, to try to find a different way to live out your calling and love people the way that you want us to love the world, God. I pray that you would inspire us. I pray that you would be with us and stand by us in those tough times and help us to realize no matter what happens, we cannot fall outside of your love. Thank you for today, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.